Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes, and this is your 164th video cast, 154th podcast for the week ending December 8th, 2022. We'll kick it off with media and then take it from there. A lot of great stuff to cover, and we're going to cover some stocks at the end. A lot of Ask Me Anything questions this week, so I want to get to those as well. Um, first off, would like to thank Shauna Smith, Dave Briggs, Taylor Clothier, and Sydney Freed for having me on Yahoo Finance yesterday in studio. We enjoyed that. We're going to cut to that at the beginning of the podcast this time. It's a short segment, but it's going to lay out our complete overview, uh, right now, you know, as of yesterday, uh, which will be very, very helpful. Also want to thank, um, Ankika Biswas, David French, and Devik Jain for including me in their article on Reuters, as well as Anuran Mitra for including me in his article on Seeking Alpha. Um, so our quote of the week is from Charlie Munger. Great investing requires a lot of delayed gratification. Uh, that was certainly the theme in 2022, but I think we're getting close to a head here. Things are starting to all come together at once. Uh, but right now we're going to cut over to the Yahoo Finance segment just to get a quick overview, uh, top-down view of what we're thinking about. So here we go. I think, you know, one thing that no one's really talking about these days is the U.S. rig count. And the U.S. rig count is at 784 total rig count. Pre-pandemic, it was at 790. So while everyone's been focused on Russia and they've been focused on production abroad from, from OPEC, uh, they've kind of failed to focus on the production in the U.S. has come back and has come back in spades. So uh, I do think that uh, that supply is going to continue to come online and, uh, and we're seeing it reflect reflected in prices. And Tab, just more broadly speaking, where we stand right now in the equity markets with the final trading weeks of the year ahead of us, the fifth down day in a row for the S&P. How does this set us up not only for the next couple of weeks, but as we look ahead to next year? Well, there's a buyer strike. It's a low volume buy buyer strike right now, but there will be no Grinch. I think Santa Claus is going to come to town the last couple of weeks, uh, but we're in a holding pattern waiting for the data. So we got the strong jobs report. Market didn't like that. We got the strong ISM services. The market didn't like that. But as we look forward to PPI and, on Friday and CPI on Tuesday, just before the Fed meeting, I think those numbers are going to come in better than expected, meaning lower than expected. And you need only look at the 10-year yield. I mean, it's telling us that there's a slowdown. It's telling us that the Fed is near the end of their job. I mean, today, the 10-year yield was down to 343. Uh, and, and that's just telling us that uh, it's a disinflationary environment moving forward. And in disinflationary environments, you want to start to look at the things that people have left for dead, communication services, tech, et cetera, and emerging markets with the dollar starting to weaken. So you suspect that the sleigh that brings Santa will be the CPI data we get next week? Yeah, I think it's going to be the PPI. I think it's going to be the CPI. Uh, the key is going to be the dot plot, though. That's what I think is the biggest concern. The terminal rate at the last meeting in September was 4.6%. Uh, that's probably going to tick a little higher, uh, hopefully 4.8, 4.9, nothing over 5. That would spook the market. Uh, and in that case, Santa will have a sleigh full of, full of presents for sure. And Tom, speaking of spooking the market, lots of debate about whether or not we're going to be in a, re if we are already in a recession, if we're going to see a recession next year. Uh, City CEO Jane Frazier was making some comments about that, expecting a recession next year. Where do you stand on this? Any difference from last time? Yeah, well, if you look at the last six cycles since 1957, you know, there's a lot of pessimism in the market. Everyone's saying earnings are going to come down another 10 or 20 percent because we're going to have a recession. But in each instance since 1957, the stock market bottomed 
six to 12 months before earnings bottom. So if you buy all the pessimism that earnings are gonna come down another 10%, you shouldn't be buying a new leg lower, you should be buying stocks. Because history shows us by the time earnings trough, the S&P 500 has made, made up most of the losses. Why is that? We know the market is a discounting mechanism. So this year we discounted a lot of slowdown with a 33% uh, peak to trough in the NASDAQ, 25% peak to trough in the S&P. This is not a time to buy wholesale to buy the S&P, but it is the time to buy selected opportunity, and there's a, there's a ton of it out there. Okay. What is it? What <laughs> stocks? What sectors? Well, what, what do people want the least of right now? I would say tech. And if you look at the 10-year yield, that's telling us a slowdown, and what companies can actually generate earnings in a slowdown is historically tech. Amazon is trading at 2018 prices. The difference between now and 2018 is their ad business and their Amazon Web Service cloud business have both tripled in those four years. The e-commerce business has doubled. Their prime members have gone from 100 million to 163 million, and you can buy it at four year ago prices. So that's kind of interesting to us. The other thing, what's everyone been hot on this year has been energy. Well, if you look to next year's estimates for earnings, the worst performing sector in terms of earnings growth is gonna be uh, energy with negative double digits, negative 10 or 11%. The best performing sector in terms of earnings, which no one wants to touch with a 10-foot pole, is communication services, and that's going to grow 35%, and consumer discretionary is going to grow, which also no one wants to touch with a 10-foot pole. They're growing off of low bases, and that's what we like. So, Tom, when you're trying to identify some of those communication services names, also consumer discretionary, does it become more of a stock pickers type of market? Because there clearly are some winners or losers when she drill down into those two sectors. Unquestionably. You know, Warren Buffett says if you wait for the Robins to sing, it's already spring. While everyone was sucking their thumbs waiting for China to invade Taiwan, he was in buying $4 billion of Taiwan semiconductors. So, you know, we like, you know, whether it's Amazon down 55%, Disney's down 55%. That's an absolute no-brainer when you look three years out. Uh, Taiwan semiconductors down. KWeb, the China Internet ETF, down 70%. There are only so many times in a lifetime or in a generation that you get an opportunity. The tech rec was one when, it, when tech was down 80%. The K-Web was down peak to trough more than 80%. Uh, and then you go back to the Great Depression, buying the Dow Jones uh, down 80% in 1932. These are generational opportunities. The government has come out. They've, revert, they've pivoted on, on the COVID zero policy. And they just came out in the last 24 hours and said, we're going to do forceful monetary and fiscal stimulus in 2023. No one believes them because we haven't seen it in the last 24 months. But when they say forceful historically, that's meaningful. And they don't have the inflation pressures that we have because they've been buying all the oil from Russia. They've got tons of storage of oil. They've got no inflationary pressure, so they can stimulate till the cows come home. And no one is buying that China reopening because we've been sold this line a dozen times over the last couple of years. You are, though, this time. Why is it different? Well, I'll tell you what, I mean, you talk about Amazon, you can buy it four year ago prices. You can buy Alibaba at its IPO prices from 2014. The only difference is revenues are up 800% and earnings and cash flow are up 500%. This is a generational sale and this is what the market does. It's a manic depressive. It's bipolar on the upside, it's bipolar on the downside, and it's overshot. It got down to 58. You're talking about me? <laughs> I'm, talking about, <laughs> I'm talking about Mr. Market, as Ben Graham taught us, and Warren Buffett has reiterated for many years. Uh, these are the opportunities that life serves up, and you have to seize them when they're there. Because if you look at the growth trajectory of Alibaba, the, their digitization, their AliCloud business is where 
AWS was in 2016. So this is going to be a monster opportunity. Uh, if you look at all the reports, they've got 38% share of the cloud business. It's going to triple over by 2025, uh, and we think that's a great opportunity. And Tom, real quick before we let you go here, what's your outlook when it comes to the jobs markets and the layoffs that we have seen started in tech? We started to see that kind of trickle out, kind of had a ripple effect throughout other industries. Something to be worried about or more so the correction that, not so much that the Fed predicted, but I think many on the street have been bracing for. Yeah, I think the, the contradiction in 2023, uh, in our view, is that the stock market is going to get better and the economy is going to get a little bit worse yeah. because we've discounted a lot of the pain. So uh, I think the Fed will be successful in terms of they, they said they wanted uh, unemployment to go up a little bit. I think we will see a four handle on that, maybe mid fours max. Uh, it really depends how quickly they stop. We know we've got 50 in the bag in December. Question is February. There's a lot of data points between now and February. It could be 25 and done. I know that's not in the market. It's more like 50 and, and then maybe another 25. But we'll see uh, two months of data points is an awful lot. And if that 10 year is right, I think we're going to see some disinflationary data as we saw with the Mannheim used car index today. And we're back. So uh, start with this chart here. I think this kind of embodies where sentiment is at the moment. Uh, you see here the 10 day average of the equity put call ratio. And you can see it's the most elevated that it's been since the pandemic lows. And one thing is common when you have that many people buying that much insurance, it rarely ever pays out because the people who are selling the insurance are usually a lot smart, smarter than the people who are buying it. I would say on balance as a generalization, if you want to make money in derivatives, you want to buy long term and sell short term. Uh, and most people do the exact opposite. Uh, but you can see every time it even got close to these levels of elevation, 15 and 16, which is a good analogy, 11 and 12, which is a good analogy, uh, it was time to be a buyer, not a seller. So uh, some news of the week. Uh, Tom Lee says the, these are the kinds of stocks set to rally as the stock market changes its character amid inflation falling like a rock. Uh, and we're going to see uh, just how much inflation is falling uh, tomorrow on the PPI report and on Tuesday on the CPI report. And as you just heard, I covered that in the Yahoo Finance. So that's, that's going to be pivotal. I think we're going to get 50 basis points no matter what happens, if they're great numbers or if they're horrible numbers. Uh, but the key is going to be moving forward. And we've got two months of data before then. But uh, I think he's, he's emphasizing what I just emphasized in the Yahoo. Uh, and I think this article he put out today um, Heavily shorted names, okay, yes, usually the low quality stuff get, goes first. But in this case, uh, he's, he's also got, you know, Wynn Resorts and Crane Shares China Internet ETF, which is heavily weighted with BABA. We agree 100%. Uh, high PE stocks, which are down 90 to 98%, getting get rented to be down 60% from highs. All right, I mean, Shopify has kind of caught my eye. I don't know if I would actually take a gamble on that type of trade. Technology stocks, which have been the hardest hit doing due to higher rate surge, which I covered uh, in the Yahoo. Certainly Amazon uh, makes a lot of sense. Um, Alphabet less so. I, I would say Amazon would be my top pick there um, for the reasons that I mentioned. Uh, he also goes on to say that... Um, one reason to doubt the reliability of data used by the Fed to determine how aggressive it needs to be to tame inflation. So he's talking about 
Uh, plunging response rate of various economic surveys could call into question the reliability of the Fed forecast. Low response rates could be overstating the tightness of the labor market. And uh, so there are all these job openings, but there are no um, uh, responses when people apply. So it's like it's free to list jobs. So like people are misled by the jolts because there's no cost to, to pulling the job down and they just collect resumes, whether they're you know aggressively hiring or not. So there's some some skewed data there. And how accurate is the surge in 5 million additional job openings when there are uh, one third fewer respondents? So I think this is uh, accurate. And I think it's also very important. Jan Hatzius noted uh, of Goldman that um, Powell acknowledged, and, and we'll cover this in the article of the week, that the real estate metrics may be wrong, the inputs into uh, CPI, which we've covered extensively here. And uh, and I would say Jeremy Siegel has been the biggest proponent of that. I think he's the best interview on TV today. Uh, he was on uh, Closing Bell Overtime with Scott Wapner last Friday. I thought it was like the best interview of the year. So, um, and and he'll be proven right. Uh, I put the actual rental prices in, the actual Case-Shiller prices into the CPI. And guess what? Core inflation over the last two months has been negative. It is coming down so rapidly, he told CNBC. Uh, that's Professor Siegel from Wharton. Um, uh, he believes that uh, they'll do 50, but no increases in the Fed funds will be necessary for 2022. You know, I kind of threw out a trial balloon there on Yahoo talking 25 bips in, uh, in February, and they, they looked at me like I had three heads. But uh, two months is a very long time. And, and as we've stated in previous video cast podcasts, uh, when they come down, they tend to come down all at once. It's not it's not a slow bleed. It's it's a rollover. Uh, and I think we're going to see that. The, the, the issue, obviously, is the stickiness of wages. But again, it's the rate of change. So uh, so look, the next the next six days uh, is going to be very telling between now and next Wednesday. Um, the key thing there is going to be the dot plot. You know, do they keep that terminal rate uh, below five? I think it's at 4.9. If you look at Fed fund futures, that would be acceptable. Above five, the market might start to get a little jittery. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out. And it's probably going to be dependent on the PPI and CPI. Uh, the market liked today that the uh, continuing claims were fought, uh, high. And the initial jobless claims were high, so it's showing some weakening in the labor market, which was the Fed's goal from day one. Uh, the 30-year Treasury yield it hits its lowest level since September amid fears that the Fed hikes will trigger a U.S. slowdown. What this is triggering more is that the Fed has been restrictive enough already. Uh, and based on his speech at Brookings last Wednesday, he's now seems to be acknowledging the lagged and variable effect, but not just saying it and then hammering down the market, saying it and, and explaining why. So I think he's hearing all of these reasonable voices and analysts outside of the Fed, because he does come from the private sector, uh, and, um, and, and he's digesting that. He does have a fear, obviously, of pausing too soon, uh, and then inflation comes back. But this is not the 70s. You know, I, I, I will agree with Kathy Wood on one thing. She made the statement yesterday uh, this is a 15-month issue, not a 15-year issue. This is not the 1970s. The demographics, uh, and now I'm adding my my uh, editorialization, uh, the demographics are entirely different. The economic conditions are entirely different. The age of the population is entirely different. This was 
supply driven, uh, and that's that's now working through. So uh, Gunlack says the Fed is digging a hole with its rate hikes only to fill it back in. Makes you wonder why they even bother. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, this is a guy who knows bonds better than anyone in the country. Uh, I would, you know, uh, Howard Marks obviously is up there, but Howard is more of a distressed debt value guy um, uh, in the credit markets. And uh, Gunlack is kind of uh, uh, go anywhere in the bond markets and he does investment grade as well. But uh, agree with him. Anything he says usually related to bonds. I agree with him. Uh, margin debts is at normal levels again. That's good for stocks. So it's taken a lot of froth out of the market. You know, you saw the crypto blow up. You saw the SPACs blow up. Uh, you know, now you're seeing all these young guys that have been all over TikTok in the last couple of years saying they bought 20 units and they pulled out all the equity to buy 20 units more and they did arms. So, you know, there'll be a reckoning and you just see this type of thing when money's free. You see a lot of investment. Uh, malinvestment and uh, so so the Fed is uh, well perfect timing the Fed Federal Reserve is deflating financial bubbles without a crash so far provided they recognize the the lagged and variable effects of their action uh, and um, and and pause in time so we'll get to the pause question in just a second uh, I don't know why this logged me out Okay. All right. So Okay. Now, uh, almost everyone is expecting a recession next year, but the market is forecasting earnings growth this model finds, and this is a model from Citigroup uh talking about the MSCI uh model for uh msci world and they're looking at earnings growth of four percent is implied uh us is a bit higher than that japan and uk are a bit lower but that does not look like a global recession i think two things are getting underestimated on a global basis now one uh in in serious fashion is the china hard reopening here i mean this is a big big development in the last couple of weeks more acutely in the last couple of days uh, and that's going to add a ton a ton of economic activity they've been basically closed the second largest economy in the world has basically been closed for 24 months and now that's coming back online that is going to be huge uh, and number two is the weakening of the dollar as it relates to U.S. equities you know dollars down some 10 percent as we had been anticipating from the commitments of traders reports which we covered here uh, repeatedly and uh, that's going to add a material amount to uh, more than half the S&P earnings are from abroad that's going to add a huge amount to earnings that that uh, are not in analyst models and uh, if the dollar weakens even further that could have an even greater impact so we'll, we'll see the benefit of that, that on a lag basis it's surprising how well earnings came in this year considering such a massive headwind uh, with that so uh, this is uh, some notes from Barron on Amazon that they put out today. I thought this was really interesting. Uh, the long-term picture, so they're talking about how does Amazon get back to a trillion. The long-term picture looks much brighter for Amazon. Its market share in the cloud business is a whopping 50%. Uh, as for U.S. retail sales, it now controls 14%. So I, I liken this to Ali Cloud, which has 38% share in, uh, in China of the cloud and their cloud uh, is 
uh, today where Amazon Web Services was in 2016, uh, which we estimate, you know, uh, by 2025 as the cloud business triples in China, um, uh, you know, they, they will be doing a monster amount. They'll basically be adding an extra $10 billion of operating income uh, to the business, which is 33% more than they did at the peak when the stocks traded at uh, $319. And I think they're going to gain share. I think that's going to be the story is as the digitization uh, grows by three times, I think their share is going to move from 38 to 45 and, and maybe even close to 50 like Amazon over the next five years. And that that's another thing that most people aren't, aren't thinking about. Um, uh, moving right along, continuing uh, jobless claim surge to 10 months highs. So that will give the uh, Fed uh, food for thought ne next Wednesday. And when they give the guidance on the dot plot, the timing of that couldn't be perfect. So we had the hot jobs report on Friday and the ISM services, which the market didn't like. And now we had these two job data points, uh, which the markets did like. Uh, you know, we're in a period right now where bad news is good news. Uh, bargains begin luring ba big banks back into China bets for 2023. So now we're on to China. Um, so Citi, Goldman and B of A analysts are now positive. Why are they positive? Well, it's the same thing that we've said since day one. They're positive because opinion follows trend. And, um, you know, the, the, the stocks are up between 60 to 80 percent off their recent lows in the last few weeks. Uh, Alibaba now up 63 percent off of its recent low and just beginning. I mean, it was an aberration on the downside, complete capitulation. Uh, and we'll get the same type of aberration on the upside. As I shared on Yahoo, the market is bipolar. Uh, it goes to extremes uh, both on the downside and in the upside. The key is having the discipline after it's reasonably valued to hold it that extra time till it gets unreasonably valued on the upside and crazy town when you get all the all the normal commentators that were the same people, you know who they are, who at the bottom were saying China is uninvestable, stay away. Uh, those will be the same commentators pitching by the breakout you know, by, you know, it's it's going to become the largest economy in the world. They're going to take over America, yada, yada, yada. Uh, and that'll be the moment to get out right before their long-term crash like Japan. And that'll be three to five years out. So um, so here, opinion follows trends. So now City Goldman and B of A are on, on track here. The more it goes up, the more these analysts will start to chase. The more they start to chase, the more people that get on board and the game is on. Alibaba sees green shoots for recovery in China, D discretionary consumer spending. We're going to spend a little bit more on this. Um, the big thing is also going to be um, uh, makeup and stuff and, and all those consumables uh, as people get back out, start to take off their mask. I mean, it, it's just think about where we were as a stock market in, you know, call it May after we were coming at May of 2020 when we were coming out of lockdown that first summer and the boom we had in the stock market, the boom we had in business, and that thing went on for, you know, 18 months till the top in 2021. Well, you know, um, if you miss that, I think you got a second bite at the apple with, with what's going to take place in China over the next 18 months. So uh, how will China turn its economy back on? The world's about to find out. So, you know, basically the consensus here is, um, you know, that they have the production capacity we're not gonna they have the excess capacity we're not going to see the same type of um 
supply shortages that create obscene inflation. As a matter of fact, they have uh, no inflation risk, which is why they can really, because they've been buying all the Russian oil, they can really step on the gas uh, in terms of um, forceful monetary policy, forceful fiscal policy, uh, which they said so much in the last couple of days, which we'll get to in just a second. China cuts fines on a range of ride-hailing violations to help bolster the industry's legal framework after Didi's debacle. So they've done everything now. They finished with Baba with their fine, with um, Ant Financial with their fine. They're now finishing. It's back to the future. What they started out with, they finished up with. Uh, and now they're finishing up with Didi, who, who they were really upset with. And now they're they're backing off the fine. So uh, the game is on. China's polit Politburo shifts focus to boosting economic recovery. This is from yesterday. Top leaders aim for overall improvement. Uh, prudent monetary policy will be targeted and forceful. For those of you who have been with me for a while, uh, that's exactly what they said. Uh, so they're going to put the pedal to the metal now. And significantly, they will also try to, quote, significantly boost market confidence, quote, push for overall improvement of the economy and uh, pledging to keep fiscal policy active and monetary tools targeted and forceful, end quote. Um, so China's Gen Z consumers prep for a flurry of revenge spending. Uh, you remember what revenge travel looked like? Well, now you're going to see revenge spending. Who's going to benefit from that? Alibaba, uh, Taobao, uh, you name it, with pent-up demand to benefit uh, personal care brands, etc. And they're not just buying personal care brands, they're buying luxury uh, Chinese personal care brands, which is kind of the new tilt. They used to buy all the foreign things. So that will uh, directly benefit uh, at, um, uh, Alibaba and Taobao, which is not even a core part of our thesis. Our thesis is predicated on AWS and Ant, but uh, we'll take it on AWS, AliCloud. China scraps most COVID testing, quarantine requirements in policy pivot. Well, guess what? If you have no testing, you have no cases. If you have no cases, you have no lockdowns. So there we go. Hong Kong manned outdoor mask rule, relaxed COVID tests. So that's why Hong Kong was up today. China mulls more property easing at economic meeting next week, more stimulus. This time the stimulus will matter because people are actually out back at their jobs, back at their business, not huddled like animals in their apartments, locked in, uh, waiting for the next time some arbitrary power is going to shut down their business or their jobs. That game is in the rearview mirror. China scraps most COVID testing. Okay, we did that. Letter from Apple supplier Foxconn's founder prodded China to ease COVID zero rules. So they're going to lose a chunk of business because um, uh, of what happened with Apple's supply chain. But uh, basically, the government looks like they're pivoting just in time before there's an uh, irreversible exodus of all the business from China. Uh, I think they got close to that. And I think over coming years, uh, it, they'll see in the rearview mirror that this was um, an unforced irreversible error. It won't show up right away, but five years from now, they'll look back and say the decisions made in 2020 and 2021 um, uh, basically... Uh, foreclose the opportunity for us to ever become the largest economy in the world. 
uh, and um, and we're going to have a monster run in the next three to five years. And everyone's going to say that, you know, like Japan did in the late 80s, that we are going to be China is going to take over the world and then they're going to collapse. And, and uh, part of that's po the policy decisions. But but the, the heavier factor in that is uh, is their demographics and their aging population. So they've got another five years, uh, which is going to be, I think, one of the greatest three to five year runs. Uh, and then they're done. So um, Hong Kong stocks advance on China's relaxed COVID rules. Macau casinos surge. Uh, Melco Crown is flying now. Uh, what China's COVID-19 reopening means for markets. We've gone through that. Uh, this is from uh, Ahern, who runs the K-Web. He said, today's Politburo, this is from yesterday, today's Politburo meeting did not receive enough attention from investors. The meeting comes in, in advance of next week's Central Economic Work Conference, CEWC, the big 2023 economic strategy meeting that will determine China's 2023 GDP target. That's a big deal. A press release following the gathering spoke to high quality growth, raising domestic demand and preventing and resolving major risks. China media stated external demand will weaken. The contribution of exports to China's economic growth will de decline marginally. The growth rate of infrastructure investment will fall from a high level and real estate investment will continue to be a drag on economic growth. In this context, the recovery of consumer demand is particularly critical to economic growth and consumption is directly related to epidemic prevention policies. So look, the biggest beneficiary of a consumption-driven economy is going to be Alibaba. They're the biggest, they're the best, and they're going to gain more share as a result of all the restrictions that knocked all their competitors out. Uh, during the last 24 months. China's consumers have a ton of money saved up. They may be ready to spend. This is the ultimate tell that sentiment has changed. This is Rejma Kapita, Kapitia from Barron's, who is the queen of negative China articles for the last four months, every single day. Like, you know, Alibaba could be up 20% on the day and she'd be like, Alibaba's up, but... You know, and, and that's that's that just goes to show opinion follows trends. So like this is literally the first positive Chinese article I've seen from her ever that she's ever written. So uh, that's just the beginning. I, I can imagine the amount of sweat that was coming out of her brow and how her hand was shaking as she was typing anything positive about China. But welcome to the you know, welcome to the tent. There's plenty of room. Uh, the party's just getting started. So moving right along, this is from Marcel Munch, who uh, I've, ha I've been on his great podcast a couple of times, uh, and he put this out today. The uninvestable China tech, uh, K-Web outperforming both the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ on a year-to-year -year basis after a very, very volatile year. I mean, if, if you would have said three months ago that Chinese equities would be outperforming the S&P 500 for 2022, I think most people would have looked at you sideways, but it's just the beginning. Here's Baba now coming off the low. This looks like six weeks, 63%. And we're just literally just getting started. Um, next is uh, biotech. Biotech is just, you know, it's making this pattern here. Same thing in 2016 when they started the tightening cycle. And it looks like we're somewhere around here. And this is going to work its way to new highs over the next couple of years. And we're going to make a lot of money with that one, too. And Cooper Standard. Uh, Cooper Standard is now in the middle of their refinancing. If you we went through uh, two weeks ago, let's see if I can pull that up. 
Um, we did an extensive analysis of it. And we believe that business on a normalized basis, so they've got to get through the uh, refinancing this month. Uh, they think it'll be done, you know, in December, latest January. But um, just understanding how the bankers that represent them think and work, my guess is they're going to get it done before the end of this month because they want to get their bonuses this year, not next year. Uh, and we did... Let's see. Um, maybe it was three weeks ago. Anyway, we did some analysis. You can just click on commentary and go back like two or three weeks. You'll see it at the end of the article where we break it down. We think on a normalized basis, this business can earn seven bucks a share. Uh, its peak multiple was 20 times. Its trough multiple in a normalized environment was 10. So you do the math. The stock's at six bucks today. I think once they get refinanced, we'll have a nice catalyst. That thing will that thing should run up uh, nicely in the short term. And then it's just going to be a function of the ISHS. If the cars are produced, uh, they're going to mint money, and that's that was the the basis uh, of our initial investment was the operating leverage just like Munger did uh, Tenneco in the 2001 to 2003 recession. He took 10 million, turned it into 80 million, doing the exact same trade, only Tenneco was more levered than uh, Cooper Standard is, and credit spreads were double what they are today, and he still still took the punt because he read an article in Barron's. He turned uh, the 10 into 80, and then he gave the 80 to Li Lu uh, to invest in China, turned it into a half a billion dollars from the 2002 to 2007 run in emerging markets, I think, and we're going to go into now, I think we're going to have the same type of run in emerging markets over the next few years, uh, and, and there'll be fortunes to be made on, on both accounts. So uh, so we're excited as we turn the calendar here, and uh, maybe we'll catch a couple breaks in the next four weeks before the calendar turns, uh, and that would be exciting as well. Um, okay, moving right along. Here's the article of the week. So a lot, decent amount to cover. We did the Yahoo thing. Uh, we're obviously, we're in a period of seasonal strength, midterm years. Uh, after the election, on average, 12 months later, up 18%. We're in the strong months. Uh, Atlanta GDP now is at 3.4% for Q4. Uh, this is the point that Hatsi has made about Powell. He said, quote, Powell's recent reference to alternative rent indicators for tracking inflation, as he signaled he will, quote, not be held hostage to lagging economic indicators typically used by the Federal Open Market Committee to track inflation. In that sense, it has further reduced the risk that the FOMC will trigger an unavoidable recession. You can see the hiking path has been the most aggressive in history. Uh, so... Um, uh, you know, he, he did pivot. And the question we're going to find out in coming weeks and, and months is whether his shift at the Brookings Institute next Wednesday was equivalent to the shift that Paul Volcker made on October 5th, 1982, when he said, quote, we may shift tactics. And over the next four months, uh, you regained 100% of the equity losses, which were 27% peak to trough in our case. And it was also a pronounced year and a half thing, just like we've had. Um, uh, we had 25% uh, peak to trough. So 
it could have, I, I think the market's just looking for some confirmation based on the forward guidance next Wednesday. And obviously the PPI and CPI will dictate that uh, in coming days. So uh, that's that. This is from um, Luthold Group, J Jim Paulson. I, I love the guy. Uh, I think he's one of the best strategists on the street. He put this out. Uh, first two years after the start of tightening cycles from 1965 to 2022. As a matter of fact, that's one of the Ask Me Anything questions. I'm just going to work that in right now. Um, Eric Chickian says, other commentators have made the point that the markets don't rebound historically while the Fed is still hiking rates and QT is still on. What are your thoughts? Um, okay, so um, first of all, we've only had QT once and that was from 2016 to 2018 they started doing quantitative tightening and the market had a huge rally over the next three years so uh that's false uh as far as tightening let's go to and the only reason i'm showing one instance because there is only one instance um okay what you're looking here and i think the closest example that is going to represent what is likely to take place this time is um, is 1994 to 1995. So here's what happens after the Fed pauses. So so yes, they are still tightening. We don't know if the pause is going to if if December is the last hike, but we do know that they've dropped down from emergency. So they've kind of pivoted in the sense that. You know, they were doing 75 four times. Now they're going to do 50. And then the market thinks they're going to do another 50 in February and then another 25 thereafter. Um, Siegel thinks they're going to do 50 and then that's going to be it because the data is going to roll over so hard in the next two months that by February they're just going to say, whoa, 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 let's, let's see what's going on. But that's similar to what happened in 1995 where um they pivoted and then you can see they kept rates elevated so they paused i think they did one or two small cuts but they paused basically and from 95 to 99 was one of the greatest rallies in history with an elevated fed funds rate after they paused after a very again abrupt hiking cycle let me see if i can find 1994 yeah it was the second most steep hiking cycle you can see it right here um in this green line so so this is a very good match if you get a pause and then they keep rates elevated for three or four years maybe a couple small cuts like they did here but again much higher than where they started uh you could have you know a really big run and and the fact the way people are positioned leads me to believe that that's that's a stronger possibility than not um here's how the s p has performed once the fed hits the pause button this is from seth golden um you know, 84 to 87, 104 uh, percent. 
88 to 90, 39%, 94 to 98. This is the one I'm talking about, 166%, uh, 11%, 28%, and 44%. So since 1954, the average 12-month return was 14%. Um, okay, so, so that would be an example. The other example where they paused and then uh, kept rates elevated for a couple of years, you still had a you know, basically two years from late 2005 to early 2008. I don't think that's a good example, but, um, you know, that's another one to consider. Uh, financial conditions are turning up. We covered last week. That usually implies that uh, earnings estimates may, in fact, be too low. While everyone was worried about how hot the jobs report was, if you look at the trend, you know which way it's heading. Uh, a lot less jobs are being created than were created last year, and that's uh, and it's still moving in the right direction from a get the Fed to pause standpoint, which is down. Um, a lot of the internet job listings are being withdrawn. You can see all the major tech companies on average uh, have pulled 63% of their jobs. Uh, PPI, uh, so here's some inflation things. Obviously, the Mannheim used vehicle index, which was a major part. Uh, coupled with the rents, which uh, Powell has not, now finally acknowledged is not accurate, uh, has has completely rolled over. So uh, so that's good. The, this data actually came out yesterday, right before I went on, uh, and you can see what's happening with used cars. And this is going to get worse for used cars because the new car supply is coming on, and you know used car loans are probably eight or nine percent. New cars, you're seeing it already, Cadillac 2.9% APR financing. You're going to see more and more dealer incentives because the semis have rolled in. The cars are now on the lots. People have wanted new cars for two years uh, and they're spending. And, uh, it, you know, in a seven or a six or seven percent interest rate environment, if a new car company comes out and says zero uh, percent APR for 12 months, I think you're going to have a stampede to the doors. Oh, and by the way, we have cars on the lot. You can take one home today. That's pretty attractive after the last 24 months. Uh, freight rates completely collapsed. Uh, now back to pre-pandemic levels. Uh, gas prices, same thing. Commodity price index, same thing. Lower than pre-pandemic. Uh, global inflation pressure is now uh, unwinding in more convincing fashion. This is from JP Morgan via Carl Quintanilla. The steady series of declines are an encouraging sign that disinflation continues to gather momentum. And as you can see historically, and when it goes, it goes super duper quickly. Uh, here's household debt service payments as a percent of disposable personal income. It's at an all-time low. Consumer balance sheet is in great shape. Household is saving. It's coming down, but it's still higher than it's been ever uh, in terms of trillions of dollars still available. And then, uh, you know, lumber, more commodities, more gas. And five-year inflation break-evens, which is the most important number that the Fed looks at. When they talk about 2%, they're talking about this. Uh, it's now down to the lowest level basically since uh, early 2021. And if you go back a little bit further, it's near 2018 levels, you know, maybe 20 basis points off 2018 levels. So they, they've crushed inflation. Uh, and you're going to see it here because if you look at uh, M2 money supply year on year, it's the lowest growth in years, up 1.3%. If you think back a year ago, I remember doing a segment on, on Fox, uh, and I was talking about how money supply was up 26% year on year. It's now up 1.3%, uh, and, uh, and, and uh, CPI always follows M2 money supply. You're going to see it continue to roll over. So uh, whether we'll get that for certain in December or it's in January or February, it really doesn't matter because we know we're getting 50 next week. 
uh, and then that we have enough time to get two more prints before February. And, uh, and by then it will be, you know, probably like somewhere down here starting to follow this M2 money supply. Uh, 10 year yields. We talked about that on Yahoo. Uh, this is sending a disinflationary signal that the Fed has already been too restrictive and it will result in falling prices in coming months, if not as early as next week. Uh, this was the pivot when Volcker switched from keep at it to may shift tactics. Uh, and again, you can see what happened after a similar 27% drawdown in the S&P. You had a 47% rally and then made, went on to make new highs. Um, earnings, most analysts calling for earnings to come down another 20%. I cover this every week because I think it's the most important message in the market right now. If you believe earnings are coming down, then the time to buy is 6 to 12 months ahead of that trough, which would be, you know, probably last month when we were pounding the table or the month before. And, um, you know, here at S&P bottomed, earnings bottomed, S&P bottomed, earnings bottomed. So if you buy the pessimism that earnings are going to come down another 10%, they're probably going to do that over the next six months. You should be in equities now because by the time they actually do trough, you'll be at new highs. And every talking head is saying uh, you can't be in equities because earnings still have to come down. And they're saying that the multiple has to be 15 times or whatever of the new lower earnings, but that never happens. You always bottom on a high multiple. So if you learn nothing else from me this year, that's the most important thing. Uh, we talked a little bit about this, the the uh, most coveted sector energy until recently when it got you know smashed, uh, which we had kind of talked to you guys about. Um, they're going to have the lowest earnings growth next year of negative 11%. I'm generally bullish on earnings for the three to five year period on energy, but I, I need to see it get crushed a little more before I would get back in. Our, our play on that was 2020, uh, and that was a home run. But uh, now we, we need a lot more pain before we, we would reload on that. And what everyone hates, consumer discretionary and com communication services are going to be among the best uh, earners in 2023. So that's where we want to pay attention. Uh, recession fears at the highest since March 09 and April 09. Uh, the bottom was already in in both cases. As Buffett says, if you wait for the robins to sing, it's already spring and you missed it. So um, risk appetite, cash levels, it all points to the same thing. People are scared. And, and the more this thing goes up, the more you're going to get the rich medias like in, uh, in China that they'll all get on board after we're at new highs. And then they'll all start to say, well, of course, we're looking at 2024 earnings, not 2023 earnings. But right now they're not doing that. And, uh, and that's your opportunity. Equity risk premium down to 2009 and 2010 levels, which was generational buy opportunities. Uh, most underweight tech since 2008. Each of these four times was a time to buy, not sell tech. No one wants it. Sellers are getting exhausted in insider selling in tech. Uh, and some of the no-brainers here, you know, be greedy when others are feel fearful while everyone was waiting for China to bomb Taiwan. Uh, Buffett went in and bought $4 billion of Taiwan semiconductors. So, um, Amazon down 55%, Disney down 55%, Meta down 70%, Alibaba, who we can't say enough about. Uh, and you know, it's, it's, uh, the shift has already happened. Uh, we did a little coverage of Amazon on Yahoo. Uh, it's back to 2018 price levels, despite AWS is up three times, as is the ad business. The, uh, e-commerce business has doubled over that period. And the prime members are up to 163 million from 100. So you basically got, you know, two and a half times the business as was available here uh, for less, less the price. And those are the type of opportunities that we look for. Alibaba being much better. You can buy it at 2014 prices and the business is up 
800% on the revenue top line, 500% uh, on the bottom line. That's uh, a once in a generation opportunity in our view. Uh, and emerging markets now trading at 2007 prices. They trade opposite to the US dollar, which we've covered. Uh, and now the dollar is coming down. When you saw these regime changes, 1988 to 1994, uh, emerging markets outperformed the S&P by 406% then it shifts back uh, to US, then it shifts back, and you can see so on and so forth. And right now we're shifting into emerging markets. I believe they're gonna dramatically outperform the US over the next three to five years. China's the biggest weight. Uh, and you can look at multiples, You know, obviously all, all this stuff. It's historic low multiple, below average, below any of the last uh, two decades. And that's when you wanna be a buyer, not a seller. Uh, retail investors are uh, scared again, 24% bullish. Uh, that's a good thing. Uh, overall, barely kind of neutral to greedy on the sentiment. And this came down to 55% on active investment managers, equity exposure. So uh, if we get some good numbers this week, they'll have to chase up. And, uh, and as the, the Grinch gets chased out of town, some earnings, financials, top 30 weights uh, for next year down. 3% in the last 60 days. Uh, that's not bad. Healthcare for next year, top 30 weights down 2.5. So basically flat. A lot of these stocks, you know, whether it's financials or healthcare, you can find stocks down 30 and 40% despite earnings being down three. That's where opportunity lies. Um, the services PMI was the number that kind of spooked the market. But then today we got payback with continuing claims spiking up and initial jobless claims being, uh, uh, higher than last week at 230k as far as it uh, relates to the um, earnings we covered the the uh, by sector what's interesting though is as much as people have been pounding the table about earnings come down they did that eight percent over the summer but now they're kind of bottoming here and they did just you know everyone's been calling for 195 200 and they're kind of holding up and I think that dollar is going to be a story and uh, and China reopening and all the things that uh, uh, people are kind of uh, missing the boat on. So uh, let's do a few um, ask me anything questions. I've got um, from Jason Patel. Tom, have you ever covered uh, Credit Suisse on one of your videos? Capital raise completes this week. Would love to get your thoughts on this ticker, specifically the risk reward at these price levels. Thanks, Jason. Uh, they could raise... Two trillion dollars, and I wouldn't invest a penny in them. It's a, the biggest. It, there's a cultural rot in that business that no matter what crisis is on Wall Street, no matter what crappy deal, they're always right in the thick of it. It's between Credit Suisse and Deutsche Bank for the crappiest two banks uh, of all time. Now, given my sentiment is that low, you know, would it be worth maybe taking a look at uh, Deutsche Bank? I don't know, but. Uh, Credit Suisse, it's just not for me. I put that in the too hard pile. Maybe it'll be a tradable bottom, but uh, I think sooner or later they'll find a way to mess it up again, no matter how much Saudi money they get. Um, all right. Uh, this is from Jason again. Just want to say thank you. I just wanted to say again, I appreciate all your insights and experience that you put out there for the average Joes like myself. Can't express this enough. By the way, uh, there are a lot more than average Joes on this uh, podcast, but uh, it's a broad spectrum. But there are some heavyweights on this call. I can tell you, I can tell you that um, super heavyweights. And uh, I've learned a lot from reading and listening to your content the last six months. It really helped me to stay the course with China Baba Investments. 
when there were no China Bulls left. Um, genuinely excited for you to be vindicated on this call. You were one of the few that stayed the course and had the foresight to call what was going on, was what was going to happen in advance and with conviction. Um, it's fun to watch it play out. It's also going to be fun to watch you become one of those household names eventually. Uh, ev everyone eventually knows when it comes to prominent hedge fund investors. You have some special unique skill sets, that's for sure. Uh, thanks, Jason. Well, thank you, Jason. <laughs> that, that's very kind, by the way. I put a lot of work into this stuff. I'm glad that uh, you get value, and I appreciate the, the, uh, the kind words. It means a lot. All right, Stephen Frampton. Hi, Tom. I watched the episode where you screen stocks. I tried to apply what you taught and found something. Wondering if you wanted to check for the benefit of uh, us listeners who are learners as well. Stock is GeoDrill, G-E-O, on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Operates drilling rigs in the West Africa and around the world. I think it passes a lot of your hurdles like rising revenues, increasing profitability, increasing uh, ROE, easily explainable business, competitive advantage, valuation well below historic levels, margin of safety. Problem is it's connected to the commodity cycle. And I think you just answered your question there. Um, thought it might be one you could at least use as a learning tool for listeners like me. Much appreciated, Stephen Frampton. P.S. I'm prepared for Canada jokes. <laughs> okay. Well, in that case, I'll have to take a look here. So I pulled up Geo. Um, I never buy stuff up like this, but, you know, the people with the CMT uh, tickers next to their name, they would say, this is a cup and handle, and therefore it's going to break out and continue to, to go. That's probably true. I'm more to buy, you know, my MO is I'd be buying right here. At a buck, it would go down to 50 cents against me. I'd hang tight. I'd probably buy a few more shares down here. Then it would start to go. Then it would go down again. I'd probably buy a few more shares and then it would take off. And, and that's what we're seeing in BABA. And that's just the MO and that's the way it works. Uh, buying breakouts is not my knitting, but uh, let's take a look at the business and forget the technicals because that's more important. Um, all right. So, okay, I've got. Meituan, a good friend of mine, sent me an amazing report on that, um, but we're not going to cover that one today because I want to do more work. Um, okay, Geo, no, that's the that's the uh, prison one. Let's see, Geo in Canada. Okay, so um, here we go. So here's our cash flow from operations. It's, you know, the key here is it's been consistently positive uh, through cycles, but not growing, just cyclically positive, which is good um, in terms of from operations. Uh, free cash flow is a more mixed picture. Gross margin is kind of been declining but you know mixed and choppy it's just a low lower quality business it might be the time to do it though because i think the the uh servicers are going to lag all the emp hype of the last two years uh and they're going to start to make some real money over the next three to five years return on capital had declined and now it's starting to come back up it's uh barely at double digits uh return on equity same story and Let's take a look at the geo, geo drill. Uh, 
Okay, so revenues have been just consistently growing through through cycles. That's impressive as as anything. Uh, gross profit, they've been profitable. Operating margins are growing. Pre-tax is growing. EPS is growing. Um, you know, this is an interesting business in that Cash flow statement. You know, again, cash from operations. It's you know through cycles here. What are they losing here? Oh, capex. A lot of capex in this business. So capex is growing um, quite a bit, along with with the revenue, which makes sense. Um, you know, net change in cash each year is de minimis. <sighs> starting to improve you know interesting when the it's almost counter cyclical when emp and integrateds were at their peak in 2013 and 14 this business was performing poorly and now you know through a tough cycle it's performing better um you know, my general thing is, if I'm going to take the risk of a cyclical business, I want to buy it in the hole. I, I mean, you know, it's up five, four hundred percent off of its lows, um, but it is operating better. I'm going to say it's it's better than most servicers. This is a tiny business. It's going to be a volatile stock. For me, there's just a lot better ways to make money more predictably. But if you have to have energy exposure and you want to have this type of small company uh i've seen worse and it's i i think your thinking about it is correct uh, i think if you applied it to any other sector you'd have a long-term winner that you could compound your money this thing you know you could have a double and then a half and then like it's just there are so many factors outside of your control it's it's the reason why in 2020 when oil traded at negative 30 and we were buying energy stocks we bought exxon you know it was like if Exxon goes down, the world is over. Uh, and it's the same thing when China was in the crapper. Why were we buying Alibaba? Because it was the biggest and the best. It's like, I'm not going to take country risk and company risk, and I'm not going to take industry risk and company risk when when things are hugely dislocated. And right now, energy is not dislocated. Right now, energy is good. I mean, the time... Um, that it was more interesting was 2020, and maybe we'll get a pullback... But I do have to say, if, if you have to be in energy now, I'd be more looking more at the service companies which have not recovered, uh, like, you know, the, let's see this one, National Oil of Varco, that's not recovered. Uh, even some of the, um, well, this one has recovered, Delic. Um, so... I think your analysis, your early analysis, obviously you got to now do the real work, is okay. I, I just, it, it's not for me at this stage in the cycle. Uh, if we get a drawdown in energy, may, you know, maybe I would take a look. But I, I'm going to be in a higher quality name than that anyway. But um, I think I think the analysis is good. Uh, not bad for a Canadian. But, <laughs> but uh, all right, um, moving right along. I think we're done with the AMA questions. And we are at uh, just about out of time. So we're going to uh, leave it there. I want to thank everyone for tuning in this week. 
We'll be back next week, same time, same place. Uh, many of you are celebrating different holidays, so happy holidays if you're starting already. And um, uh, we'll see you next week. In the meantime, make it a great one. Bye for now.